You're listening to the Plano Pulse, a Plano Chamber podcast keeping you in tune with the heartbeat of the local business community. It's time for the Plano Pulse. We here at the Plano Chamber are working hard to finish out 2020 strong, and we're working hard on our 2021 events now. We would love to partner with you as a sponsor, buy virtual tables for your employees, and many other ways. We'd love to connect with you and get you more information on how you can partner with us on these great events. Find out more at planochamber.org or contact any Plano Chamber staff. Thank you for joining us for Plano Pulse. I'm Kelly Marcellus, President and CEO of the Plano Chamber. And I'm Katie Jimenez, Director of Marketing and Communications for the Plano Chamber. And today we're recording our podcast virtually, so if you hear any audio blips or beeps, it is not uh, it is not on purpose, but we are living in a virtual world, so we hope you enjoy today's recording. Let's jump right in and introduce you to today's guest. Dr. William McNamara is board certified in surgery and completed his fellowship training in head and neck surgical oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and one of the nation's premier cancer treatment institutes. He has a special interest in minimally invasive and transoral surgery, robotics, and salivary gland malignancy and surgery. Dr. McNamara, we're so excited to have you join us today. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. So you joined us today as a representative of the great partner of the Plano Chamber, Baylor Scott and White. And can we go ahead and start by having you give our listeners a quick introduction to Baylor Scott and White and Texas Oncology? Sure. Uh, so I work for Texas Oncology, obviously, which is a conglomerate of uh, oncology physicians uh, with most specialties across the board. We have surgical oncology, urologic oncology, gynecologic oncology, general surgical oncology, and of course, uh, medical and radiation oncology. Baylor Scott and White, um, I work hand in hand, and many of our physicians do, being that our Tex Oncology Center, a lot of them are located in Baylor Scott and White's buildings and, and are associated and affiliated with the hospitals. Um, we also, I work hand in hand with the Cancer Center at uh, Baylor Scott and White Plano in terms of developing a cancer program for surgical oncology and specific for head and neck surgical oncology. So we kind of have a, a close partnership. Great. And, you know, Baylor, Scott & White is a fantastic partner to the Chamber. Um, they are sponsors of our leadership program and many other programs throughout the organization. So, again, thank you for that investment and partnership. And I think, you know, living in Plano, we are so lucky to have the level of health care that we do. So we're, we're excited to talk to you today. Absolutely. Um, so this is very interesting. This is something kind of new for us. I don't know that we've had a physician on the show before, so we're really excited to have you on here. Um, so as a physician that specializes in head and neck surgery, how is your training different from other types of surgeons? I do specifically head and neck surgical oncology. So that's an additional training I did just in, in oncology, pretty much cancers uh, that originate in the head and neck and the subsequent treatment of them, whether it being surgical or medical or, or radiation treatments of it. Um, I'm a general surgery trained head and neck surgical oncologist. You can have an ear, nose and throat and ENT or otolaryngology trained head and neck surgeon or a general surgery trained head and neck surgeon. So I don't do kind of general ENT problems or or general surgery problems anymore. Um, I'm specific to just oncology. So any cancers that arise or complex uh, surgeries that would arise and or that would be necessary in the head and neck. 
Okay, I got to ask, how many years were you in school to learn to do what you do? It sounds complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Four years of medical school, six years of surgical residency, and, oh. and three years of uh, oncology fellowship. Wow. Impressive. Very impressive. And I, so my dad actually is a stage four throat cancer survivor. So I have um, seen some of the types of work that that is done in your field. So it, it's really interesting. Um, but with these types of cancers, can you talk a little bit about things that our, our listeners may do to prevent them or, or, or anything in that realm? So most head and neck cancer prior to about 10, 15 years ago, obviously it was unanimously caused by smoking. Um, so abstinence from tobacco and or excessive use of alcohol is probably the number one thing you could do. Here in Texas, I treat a lot of skin cancer. So minimizing exposure to UV sunlight or taking precautions with uh, sunscreen is another uh, very important thing you can do to prevent um, head and neck cancer in terms of skin cancer in that region. Probably the other big type of cancer, I would say that you know, we treat a lot of just based on numbers is thyroid cancer. There's really not much you can do at this stage of the game that we know that prevents thyroid cancer. A lot of it's sporadic. There's very small amounts of it that is genetic in nature. And those are the rare types of thyroid cancer. Um, so it's not other than screening, meaning anytime you feel a lump in your neck or a lump in your throat or you have any symptoms pretty much as an adult, uh, that would warrant evaluation if it pretty much doesn't go away in two weeks. Dr. McNamara, are you a native of Texas? Uh, I am not. I'm a native of New York. <laughs> I didn't think so, <laughs> but I was just curious. I guess that was a nice way of me asking, where are you from? Because you don't sound like you're Texan. <laughs> so as a, as a head and neck surgeon, what type of cancer patients do you see? So I see pretty much anything that's a malignancy outside of the, the brain or the spinal cord. So I see salivary gland cancers. I see thyroid cancer. I see cancers that originate in the jaw around the teeth, the tongue, the tonsils, the larynx, um, uh, a few amount of cancers that originate in the eye, and then of course, uh, skin cancers. As we mentioned earlier, you have a special interest in minimally invasive and robotic surgery. How does that differ from other types of surgery? So just as in the abdomen and surgery everywhere else, we're now using laparoscopy and the robot to get access to places that are hard to get to um, that you would normally need to open incision for. And laparoscopy and the advent of the robot allow you to have smaller incisions with uh, faster post-operative recovery. In the deep kind of recesses of the back of the mouth, the larynx and the oral or pharynx, um, we used to treat all those cases decades ago with open surgery, which means we had to either go through a big incision in the neck or I had to split the mandible in order to get back there. And then we progressed into treating them with chemo radiation therapy. Um, and now recently with the advent of the robot, we're able to get back into those areas to treat cancers that would otherwise um, be treated with radiation and chemotherapy that are smaller and that can be resected surgically with minimal morbidity or early cancers um, that wouldn't warrant any further treatment or that may be overtreated with radiation or chemotherapy. A majority of what we're using the robot for is HPV mediated or the HPV virus that causes cancers in the tonsil and tongue base in men and women. Um, these cancers are known to be 
not as aggressive as the ones caused by smoking. And they have a better overall prognosis and are much more responsive to treatment. But we found that um, we may be over-treating if there's ongoing studies right now to see if the amount of radiation and or chemotherapy we're using can be reduced. Okay, So because the cancers are so responsive in that same kind of mindset, we're treating a lot of these earlier stage cancers with uh, robotics, with removing the, the tumor in the back of the throat um, with a short hospital stay and relatively uh, quicker recovery time if we can kind of avoid this six to seven weeks of radiation and or chemotherapy and uh, side effects that go hand in hand with them. Yeah, that would be, that would be fantastic for, I know that that's a, it's a tough place to get radiation. I've, I've seen that firsthand. So yes, definitely. What symptoms should our listeners be watching for when it comes to these types of cancer and should they seek a medical evaluation? Probably the number one symptom, which isn't really a symptom, but, um, is that people experience is an adult that gets in a large mass or a lymph node in the neck that doesn't go away in a couple of weeks. Usually the standard kind of protocol is if you see your primary care doctor, they will treat you with one to two weeks of antibiotics. If it doesn't resolve, it needs further attention because um, a neck mass in an adult that doesn't resolve within a couple of weeks is cancer until proven otherwise. The other types of cancers that are kind of easier, more symptomatic may cause change in the voice difficulty swallowing, uh, painful swallowing, pain in the tongue, or um, bleeding lesions in the nose or in the throat and the mouth. But usually a neck mass or a cheek mass uh, is the primary um, symptom or um, feature that gets a, a patient to be evaluated by a medical physician. No, this is great information. Thank you so much. It's really valuable for our listeners. Does diagnosis of these cancer types always lead to surgery? No, not always. There's still many, dips that, many types of head and neck cancer that we don't initially treat with surgery. Smaller cancers of the, uh, or early stage cancers of the larynx, or what's called the hypopharynx, we usually treat with uh, radiation. So areas around the voice box or around the upper part of the throat um, are still routinely treated with radiation. And pretty much the nasopharynx, which is the very, very back of the nose. Any primary cancers back there, we usually treat just because of the access point, um, access difficulty and the morbidity that goes along with it, we treat with radiation and our chemotherapy up front. Um, but as I said earlier, some of them, if they're smaller and they can be obtained, uh, accessed with a robot or a minimally invasive technique, sometimes we may opt to take them out surgically that way if uh, the risk of the recurrence is lower and radiation and chemotherapy isn't necessary. So we understand that you work in conjunction with a variety of specialized doctors to provide the best care for your patients. And can you tell us a little bit more about how you collaborate with other medical professionals and how your role fits into the bigger picture of treatment? Sure. So there's many studies that have been shown that, especially that originated in large cancer institutes, that multidisciplinary care and cancer provides the best outcomes. Um, so when you have many different doctors coordinating the care uh, of, of a patient and communicating about their care, the outcome is usually better and the patient obviously is, is usually happier. At Text Oncology and at Bell Scott & White, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of very uh, bright and uh, hardworking docs. So we work closely in tumor boards with medical oncology and radiation oncology, in addition to uh, radiology 
as well as pathology. Um, so coordinating care amongst all these docs and open communication allows the uh, patient to be treated better and in a more timely fashion. One note after, you know, surgery and the treatment alone isn't the only thing that cancer patients go through, given that probably more so in head and neck than other parts of the body, the morbidity of the treatments really affect quality of life. So we work closely with uh, speech and swallow therapists, physical therapists, prosthodontists, and dental oncologists in order to uh, facilitate the care of our cancer patients. Thanks so much. Well, this is a really incredible information and, and the work you're doing is very impressive. Um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about the robotics and how that's really helped you to, to back off on some of the radiation therapy for certain patients. What are some of the innovations that you've seen in care over your time with the hospital? And is there anything kind of on the horizon that you're seeing as, you know, future innovation or something that you hope to see in your field? So robotics is an interesting field and the technology keeps getting better and better. Um, it allows us to visualize, for me specifically, the further recesses of the kind of oropharynx, the upper uh, esophagus and throat. Um, the robot we have at Baylor Scott and White, we have the, the Da Vinci robot. And we also have a, a Metabox Flex robot, which kind of works like a snake in terms of locomotion to get to the areas that you want in the very back of the, the airway and the throat. And it provides like a 4K HD picture so you can see what you're working on very well and up close. The instruments are very facile, so um, it allows us to do surgery on areas that we couldn't previously do. But with robotics, like I said, the, the features of it, the viewing in terms of the like 4K HD and how well you're able to see certain areas are getting better and better. Um, there's research in head and neck cancer that be able to look at cellular changes uh, in the mucosa of the mouth that probably will be in the, in the future, uh, helpful in order to assess margins when resecting cancers. Um, but as the technology improves, um, it's exciting. We're able to do more and more and hopefully have better and better outcomes. So Katie and I are not healthcare professionals, clearly, but we do recognize how challenging it has been to treat and support patients during the pandemic, especially. Um, you know, as a chamber, we have brought groups in to tour the hospital and to see some of this innovation in action. And right now, we, you know, we hear about how hard it is for patients to have the support system around them if they're seeking treatment because they have to be in there alone. And, you know, in your opinion, do you foresee a time when hospitals will be have a more open door policy again? Or do you feel like some of these um, new policies around not having additional people in the in the hospital will continue? Well, yeah, for the past year, obviously, it's been very difficult and in certain times patients going to go surgery and they're not allowed to have anybody with them afterwards so that always increases anxiety and, and stress with the family and the patient and obviously an excellent support system is very beneficial to the patient or be able to get through the treatment and, and recover from uh, from the cancer i think we all hope that in the next couple months uh when we get better control of the, the pandemic and hopefully since the vaccines are starting to roll out um, as the hospital sees a decrease in the numbers of admissions and ICU stays that they start flexing on the uh, on the policies and allowing our patients to have more visitors, a greater time in terms of the day and when they can visit. And in addition to when, uh, you know, we have family come with them in the office or when they're getting chemotherapy treatments or radiation treatments as well. So hopefully within the next couple of months, things start to change and we don't see this at this time next year. 
Fingers crossed for sure. So I think we're, we're running um, out of time. So before we let you go, if you could have our listeners take away one thing from this podcast, what would that be? So obviously you are your best advocate. So if anything kind of comes up, which I've seen routinely during the, the pandemic, if something is abnormal and you notice something abnormal, as I said earlier, a lump in the neck, um, a symptom that doesn't seem to go away, don't let it go too far. Um, seek medical attention earlier rather than later because it's always better to catch cancers earlier and easier to treat them and have better outcomes in terms of recurrence and survival if we're able to catch them earlier. So don't sit on things that you are, are concerned about, especially in the time of this pandemic. Great advice. And that brings us to uh, time. This is all the time we have for today, unfortunately. Dr. McNamara, we are thankful that you are in our community helping take care of uh, our, our employers, our employees, and people across the community. Thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And thank you to Baylor Scott and White for their partnership to support the Plano Chamber. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Are you interested in reaching our Plano Pulse listeners? Support the Plano Chamber and the podcast by becoming a sponsor. Contact the Chamber team to learn more. Thank you so much for tuning in to Plano Pulse. Please feel free to let us know what you think, share with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to tune in for our next episode. Hey everyone, Kelly Marcellus here, your president and CEO of the Plano Chamber. Are you looking to kickstart your Friday morning with dozens of local business owners and professionals? Set your alarm and join us for our weekly business interchange meetings for virtual networking worth waking up early for. Meetings are held at 7.30 a.m. every Friday morning on Zoom. Join us and share your 30-second commercial promoting your business and be the first to hear what's going on with other local businesses. Visit planochamber.org to learn more and we'll see you next Friday. Music.